0: Welcome to Settle Smart, a podcast produced by the National Structured Settlements Trade Association and hosted by Executive Director Eric Vaughn. Our podcasts are an educational resource about structured settlements for people who have settled a personal injury lawsuit to help them understand their best options for financial security. This can include you or a loved one who is injured in an automobile accident, injured on the job, or suffered from any number of injuries. We are here to help. We believe your injury settlement is your money, so keep it safe. Now, here's your host, Eric Vaughn. Today's Settle Smart podcast features Congressman Jim Langevin, an 11-term congressman from the great state of Rhode Island. The congressman currently serves as the chair of the Congressional Structured Settlements Caucus, and he's the longtime chair of the Congressional Disability Caucus. I am pleased to introduce Chris Larner with Arcadia and Peter Early with Ringler, who interviewed the congressman uh, for this very special edition of the Subtle Smart podcast. Well, good morning and thank you, congressman, for meeting with Peter and I. Uh, We appreciate your time today. Sorry we couldn't have you at the annual meeting, but this is going to work out great. And Being here in your office in Rhode Island is just just perfect for all of us.
1: Well, I'm glad we could get together and looking forward to our conversations. morning. always good to see you and Peter.
0: That's great. Um, I may as well start out with a, a, a question. And um, one of the biggest ones I had, you know, was going back to uh, your original injury years ago and how your family dealt with it. Um, I've got a series of questions, but you're 16 years old and, and you know, you had to finish high school. You went to college, and somewhere there, you decided instead of being a policeman, you were going to run for office, and and you ended up a congressman. It's it's quite a journey.
1: Yeah, it's quite a journey. Is is right? Obviously, an unexpected journey, um, and uh, certainly at sixteen years old, having the rug pulled out from under you, and you know, my whole life, my famous life, was just upended and changed forever. Uh, was um, you know, it was, it was certainly a, a significant uh, challenge in that, that uh, period of time in my life and both, you know, tragedy wow. and readjustment and the challenge that went along uh, with this new reality that I was facing uh, it was not easy, but, you know, as a family, we got through it. And a lot of it was because of the incredible community support that we had and people encouraging me to, um, you know, to, to, to refocus, get things, in my life back on track and, and, and hopefully dream new dreams. And that's, ultimately would happen, which uh, I'm very grateful for.
0: Fabulous dreams and great work with it. I'm, I'm curious, you know, you had your settlement with the city of Warwick and, and um, how did your family put into action how you would go forward? Uh, did they have their your, your attorneys? Uh, uh, did you have financial counselors? Um, you had payments over time, periodic payments as we note them. Um, do you mind talking about that?
1: Sure. Uh, just briefly, you know, certainly my uh, my uh, family's attorney was uh, representing you know, me from the from the beginning, and and then uh, beyond that, you know, having uh, financial advisors to you know properly invest uh, funds that we're going to provide for my my future going forward. That was uh, really uh, important, and and having a structured settlement over a period of a, of a few years helped to uh, Properly planned and invest so that so that I would have the you know, the resources that I needed to live an independent life going forward. And it's a, the thing that of course allowed me to do other things. That uh, when I had originally planned to go into law enforcement, I thought I'd be a police officer and maybe go on to the FBI at some point. Uh, that just didn't work out. And and you know if I was going to do something meaningful with my life, it was going to come on a different path. And through education was important to that, so I was able to uh, pay for my education. Both first at uh, Rhode Island College. Well, first of all, finishing high school, I should say. So finishing high school and then going on to Rhode Island College, and then my master's was at the, the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, and all oh, in between, getting more and more interested in in government, politics, and and one thing led to another, leaving you know me running for office uh, as a way of giving back and saying thank you to the community. Uh, I guess I didn't know at the time that it was going to be a, a lifelong journey and and uh, commitment to uh, public service that would lead me to running for and being elected to the United States Congress. Sure, But um, again, it's been an amazing journey for which I'm very grateful for. And it's uh, both humbling and exciting all at the same time.
2: Wow. So, Congressman, you finish high school at the uh, the best educational institution in the state, which I also happen to graduate from. Um, And then you go on to Rhode Island College, as you mentioned, Harvard. Is there a moment where you decide you're going to run for politics? Does it happen gradually? Was there kind of an aha moment? What inspired you to go, you know, as you mentioned, you, you, you have a changing career path. What made running for Congress the option for you going forward?
1: Yeah, I can't say it was an aha moment other than I was encouraged to um, to think about running for a local office. It was a, as a delegate to our state's constitutional convention. Every every ten years, Rhode Island voters are asked if they want to uh, amend or redraft the state constitution. And back in uh, 1984 timeframe or so, the voters said that they, they wanted to hold the Constitutional Convention. Uh, someone encouraged me to think about running for that office. Um, it was only about a one-year position. I thought I saw it as a nice way to, uh, to give back. And so I ran and was elected. 100 of us were elected statewide. And when I got in there and started um, you know, doing the work, I found it was something that only did I feel like I was giving back, but, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I'd been both exposed to politics and government a little bit before because my mom worked as the personnel director for the city. She, had, uh, she actually ran, she helped uh, the, the uh, state senator, Joe Walsh, uh, at the time running for mayor, and uh, we could we drag along, and, and, and my brothers and I working on the political campaigns and stuff. So that's kind of like first foray into politics. I didn't really think of it as a career for myself, but it was how I got exposed to it. And then again, the, the constitutional convention came up. Really enjoyed that experience, and uh, I said, you know, maybe this is something that it really get, I could have a develop a passion for, which I did. And and, um, and a couple years later, I ran for state rep. I was still actually in school, finishing up my undergraduate degree, but ran for state rep, and then uh, uh, while I was still in the legislature, uh, started my master's degree program. And, and then I, I graduated in uh, May of, of 94 uh, with my master's, and then I was on the ballot statewide uh, for Secretary of State in November of 94, and, and uh, the rest is history. So six years there in uh, the Secretary of State's office, and then in 2000, we ran for Congress.
2: So, so you moved to D.C., Twenty-two years later, you've been a member of Congress. Um, obviously, quite a lot has changed in that time, and yeah. just on Capitol Hill. Um, what kind of changes have you seen over your career as as a member of that body?
1: Well, in terms of um, Congress functioning and, and the climate in Washington, it's gotten much more partisan than when, than when I first arrived in, in Washington. And I and I thought it was pretty partisan <laughs> then. So, uh, yeah, it was. Um, it, it's become even. I guess even hyper partisan, uh, more so than, than than when I first arrived. That's unfortunate. You know, I, I you know I know the pendulum swings both ways, and I'm hoping eventually that the pendulum swings back and we find that center, that common ground. You know, we've seen it uh, happen in 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 certain times. Of course, nobody comes better come to better. Nobody uh, comes to get a better than the, uh, the American people uh, when uh, you know when, when the chips are down. When there's... Uh, there's a crisis. We saw that after 9-11, of course, but, um, uh, and put the economic crises that we've seen and the, the, uh, there was, it was, it was 07 and 08 and now, of course, uh, the, the pandemic and, and we came together for the most part in, in a bipartisan way. Uh, not all the time, but, you know, on a large scale to confront the challenges of the country that we have. I just wish it weren't, uh, you know, the crises that force us together yeah. and, and find that common ground. We've, we, we've got a, find a way to, you know, to, to find that center more frequently than just yeah. under times of, of crisis and stress.
0: Well said. Congressman, I wanted to circle back to uh, your going off to Rhode Island College. Did you have to use your settlement funds to pay for college? I, I did, sure. You did. Yeah, I, I from, mean, it, it, yeah, it helped your family in the life. Yeah,
1: both my undergraduate degree program and my... My graduate program yeah. Yeah, is a big help, and then obviously you know uh, paying for all the other the you know the the care that I need both you know you know sure. morning noon and night type uh, situation having CNAs uh, uh, help me out and uh, just you know just everyday life things and uh, and um, you know it allows me to again live an independent life so that I'm not was I'm not dependent on my family to sure to get by and not everybody has the, is that fortunate when when
0: we have settlements for children. I'm always thinking and I'm sure Peter and and our our peers out there are, how can we kind of almost hide these dollars from the settlement so that the schools just don't take it? You know, it becomes part of the um, expected family contribution, the EFC. That's what it's called. And, And it's unfortunate that someone gets hurt and then the schools take it. You know, you should be able to get financial aid and grants outside of that. And there's ways that we're able to assist but it was just curious, how did it happen to, to you? Uh, and obviously you used your money and Rhode Island College in the old days was a, a, a good price to pay to go to school.
1: Well, I still say Rhode Island College is the, the best bang for the buck in the state. It, it is. I got a great education, I'm a great faculty and curricula. Uh, so you know, still a big advocate for, for Rhode Island College. It's affordable and-, and Absolutely,
0: but, it's but, a great school.
1: Yeah. And so consequently, I was able to come out without any college debt uh, and, yeah. and then, you know, get a good education, then again went on to, to earn my master's degree, so.
2: we so you, you talked a little bit about how things have changed in DC, maybe not always for the better, but one of the things that there have been strides on, you know, for the last couple of decades, maybe not as far as it needs to, but there has been a lot of advances in the disability community and, and with disability legislation. Um, where do we fall short on that? Where can we improve on that? Where do you see the future of that going forward?
1: Yeah. So I was just injured in 1980. So I remember what the world was like before the Americans with Disabilities Act mm-hmm. was passed. And then uh, uh, 10 years later, the ADA becomes law. And it had a profound change on, on the world for, for people with disabilities. And no longer were things like accessibility uh, uh, just a you know, courtesy anymore. And that's what I, you know, was. Before the ADA was passed, it was like you were lucky if something was accessible. You know, if you, there was a ramp somewhere, a curb cut, uh, access to public accommodation. That is that changed after ADA, and it became a civil right that public accommodations had to be uh, accessible, and um, you know, public places had to serve as people with um, you know with with disabilities have reasonable accommodations so that people with mobility mobility impairments could. Get in the door, get into a restaurant, you know, navigate down the aisles and things like that. Um, so that was a significant milestone moment for people with disabilities. And then years later, passing the uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, the the ADA Amendments Act, I should say. And and I was in Congress then, so I worked on the passage of the uh, ADA Amendments Act with the, the sponsors. And uh, significant and very meaningful moment uh, being at the White House in the Oval Office with. President George W. Bush, uh, as um, uh, he signed that, that bill into law, uh, and his father was there, George Herbert Walker Bush, and so I was with the two of them and, and he was able to thank his dad for, you know, for championing and, and, and signing that original ADA into law. And so that was uh, uh, a meaningful moment, and I, I told him then, I said, you know, had that law not been passed, had the ADA not been enacted, I don't know that I would be serving in Congress today. And it would have been at least significantly more difficult. Um, but uh, fast forward, you know, there there are still things that we need to work on uh, with, in terms of accessibility. Um, certainly, accessible transportation, uh, making sure that we, it is accessible housing options. And by the way, accessible transportation also means air travel. Uh, that's been always a, a, a challenge for, for me and for, for others with with a disability. Uh, I was able to. Pass a law that um, uh, that as their, uh, air passengers with disabilities bill of rights. So now it lays out some basic protections and uh, principles that, to protect and, and assist people with disabilities as they as they travel. So it makes it a little bit easier, but again, always more work to be done. Um, going forward, we want to continue to work on uh, baking accessibility in. You know, think of curb cuts and entrances mm-hmm. and accessible restrooms and things like that. Um, but uh, it also um, access to home and community-based services are really important, so that people. Uh, when you talk about you know, non-cash payments, uh, you talk about non-cash uh, benefits, things like uh, community supports, with CNAs and things like that. That so that it would allow some to go to work without losing those those supports. I've often said, unfortunately, that being disabled isn't cheap and uh, obviously a whole host of expenses that you know other people without a disability don't have. And so if we want to encourage people to, with disabilities to go into the workforce, we've got to find a way to allow them you know, to, to make it, you know, living independently, uh, affordable.
0: Are there any, um, is there any legislation that's out there now that's pending or in the process to improve the rights of the disabled.
1: Yes, on yeah, and, and all fronts. And certainly looking for better, uh, uh, more comprehensive transportation options, again, affordable housing, and, and as I said, uh, access to home and community-based services, all yep. legislation that are in the pipeline. And we just have to find a way to, to get it through to the Congress and signed into law.
2: So, Congressman, we've talked a lot about changes, and Chris is the head of our Trade Association's Political Action Committee. Um, I'm very involved with our congressional outreach efforts. Those things have changed dramatically, even within the last couple years. Um, and you know, we're no longer able to do, at least at this meeting, the kind of um, big event on Capitol Hill where we meet with our members of Congress. And we have found it to be a little bit challenging in ways to kind of maintain that outreach to our members of Congress. What can you tell us about effective ways for those of us as constituents to meet with our members of Congress to tell them what, what it is that we do? Not everybody has the uh, knowledge of structured settlements that you do.
1: Right, right. So it, it's important to keep open, open lines of communication. And whether you're doing that with in-person meetings uh, in the district office or in DC or over Zoom, uh, staying engaged with members and staff is, is really, uh, really important. And, you know, obviously there's other things like the staff turnover, right? So, the, you know, the people that you met with one year may not be there the, the second year. And keeping in touch with both the member and the staff, and think, is really, really in, in, important. So, um, uh, and, you, and you can't assume that uh, all the time that, you know, there's a bill introduced that the staff and the members of Congress, the senators, are, are up to speed on the legislation. You know, always never uh, um, take it for granted that they, you know, that it, it'd be a good idea to just bring them up to speed on, on what you're advocating for, what's important to you. So uh, being that that constant engagement is important. So uh, you get, whether it's in person or over Zoom, I think both, you know, both are good. It's just about, it's about the communication. And, you know, same same thing goes with, uh, with uh, you know, emails or letters is a whole host of ways that your members can can uh, stay in touch with their members of Congress, the senators. But it's that constant engagement, you know, can, you know, getting together, you know, uh, just touching base uh, once or twice a year, it's always helpful for both sides.
2: Do you find you're doing more district meeting offices than you were maybe prior to this as, as folks are maybe less willing to travel, there's less access on Capitol Hill. Has there been an increase in your district office engagement with, with constituents?
1: So we are slowly ramping back up to in-person meetings. Uh, they, they, they don't happen uh, as frequently as the Zoom meetings right now. We're still... Uh, doing a lot of uh, uh, virtual meetings right now, and, and you know, it's for everybody's uh, benefit in terms of safety and uh, public health reasons. But you know, as as uh, we're getting through the pandemic, and as you know, public health guidance allows, then you know, sometimes we're doing uh, the in-person meetings. But again, both are good. I mean, Zoom has definitely yeah. you know, the pandemic has forced upon us something that I I don't know that would have happened uh, this quickly otherwise. Um, and I can remember years ago after 9-11, I was advocating for what's called an e-Congress uh, to allow for remote uh, committee hearings and uh, for debates and, and uh, constituent meetings, and I couldn't get anybody to buy into it because they <laughs> said, nope, we're going to do things in person like we've always done them. I, I remember the, I was part of a, a continuity of Congress task force, and uh, you know, a lot of the old timers around there didn't want to hear about virtual meetings and things like that. You know, here we are now, fast forward some, you know, about 20 years later, and, you know, we're all very familiar with, uh, with virtual meetings. Everyone Zoom and Teams. Right, yeah. right, so, right. So when
2: they say deliberative body, they mean deliberate in terms yeah. of how long it takes to get something done, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: That That's great. Um, so I, I, I'm glad to hear that you like the idea of our members going to see their congressional representatives uh, and, and in their district. But I, I just like that point that, Details about something can be overwhelming to a congressman on so many issues. So if professionals like Peter and I come in and can explain any, any, any aspect to you or your staff, uh, I think that's very helpful to our members to know they, their responsibility is to speak to their own members of Congress and bring them up to speed on disability rights, uh, the, the tax benefits of a structured settlement, and, and how that can help them.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's—it's all very helpful again as a refresher. If the member of Congress, the senators, uh, you know, may be already familiar with the bill, but as a refresher to, you know, remind of about the fine points of the of the bill, why it's so important, and also by the way, putting uh, a human face to the the, the stories. Sure. It's not just about the bill uh, that's introduced in Congress, but it's about how it's impacting real people, and so. Uh, I think that's important, and you know, you think about the, the structured settlements and the way that you know we've seen recently the gyrations of the market, right? And you know, why you know sometimes a fixed it and certain is, you know,
0: is what we deliver. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, that, that certain time, you know, certainty over over time, that balance and and the uh, you know, predictability of having a structured settlement. I see the benefits of it.
2: Well, C- Congressman, one of the things that we do at this meeting that we're attending in D.C. this week is we give out our, our industry awards, which is a lot of us patting each other on the back. And, and, um, but one award that we do not give out every year, that we give out seldomly, is what we call our Congressional Leadership Award. And this is um, the past, past two recipients, I think, were uh, Senator Dole and uh, Congressman John Lewis. Um, this is truly for, for members of Congress who have gone above and beyond for our industry, for members of the disability community, and needless to say, um, you fit that definition. Uh, for those in our audience who may not know, you are not running for re-election. This is your last term um, as, as a member of Congress. So as a thank you from our industry to you for all that you've done, uh, we want to pre- present you with our Congressional Leadership Award for, for what you've done for our industry and, and with our thanks.
1: Well, that's very nice. Thank you. Thank so we have a
0: certificate much. for you, and uh, our uh, mutual good friend Eric Vaughn will be presenting you with a little bit more down in your Washington office. But on behalf of the National Structured Settlement Trade Association, the Congressional Leadership Award, and as Peter mentioned, the August Company that you're in, John Lewis, Bob Dole, and and several others, uh, you're 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 the guy, and uh, we appreciate everything you've done for us, not just this year, but over your career. Uh, you you. You've been a model and a highlight for for the disabled and, and our abilities to work with, with that uh, significant group of people and helping them get their lives going forward. Because you never know when someone's not going to become a policeman, they're going to become a congressman. And uh, what you've done is just remarkable. Wow. So thank you very thank much. You. I'll leave thank this you. with I'm, Mike.
1: I'm really I'm really touched by the award. Thank you. And obviously, uh, Senator Dole and, and John Lewis, to, Two people I have uh, known over the years and, and tremendous respect for. And obviously, we've, we lost them both recently. Yes. Uh, but um, uh, I'm a good company. and That's really humbling, and I'm grateful for it. Thank You're you for the recognition. You're very
0: welcome. And thank you for all you've done. Thank you,
2: Congressman.
1: You bet. Thank you.